This episode of To You Good Health Radio is brought to you by Paleo Valley. I love their organic super greens, and you will too. Just add one tablespoon in water, juice, or a smoothie for a delicious, energizing blend of 23 nutrient-rich organic superfoods. Paleovalley.com. Use promo code GOODHEALTH for 15% off. Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. I believe a successful and happy person is someone who's able to build a strong foundation with all the bricks thrown at him. Our guest today, Matthew McConaughey, is no stranger to bricks. He refers to them as red lights, those obstacles in life that try to derail and steal our joy. Through his 50-year journey, he's learned how to turn life's challenges into a state of happiness and success, which he calls green lights. His number one New York Times bestselling book, Greenlights shares how we can use our tough experiences as a springboard to greatness. His upcoming companion book is called Greenlights, Your Journal, Your Journey. If you want to catch more Greenlights in life, don't go anywhere. Matthew McConaughey is in the house, and it all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is one of Hollywood's most sought-after leading men. He's an Academy Award, Golden Globe, and Screen Actors Guild award-winning actor who's appeared in over 40 feature films that have grossed over a billion dollars. He's the number one New York Times best-selling author of Green Lights, a memoir based on his diaries of over 35 years. His upcoming book is called Green Lights, Your Journal, Your Journey. Welcome to the show, Matthew McConaughey. Well, Dr. Friedman, good to be here, sir. Oh, so great for you, that you can join us. You know, Green Lights, I, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is not your typical memoir. After journaling 35 years, what inspired you to finally write this book? Ooh, I dared myself to go look in my journals and see if anything was worth sharing in a book. I, I challenged myself to do that, dared myself for 15 years and never had the courage to do it. Finally, I don't know, coming across 50 years old, feeling like I had really lived a solid chapter of my life and I got the courage to look over my shoulder into my past, take my journals away and say, Hey, if it's not for anyone else, it'll at least be for me, but hopefully it will be for other people too. So I put it down and came out of the desert 57 days later with basically the transcript that you have in the book green lights, which is translating to other people, which makes me very happy. Yeah. So you actually went into seclusion in the desert for all that time. Was that to help you just get away from life's distractions? Yeah, it was about, I found as you read in the book that, 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 you know, sort of monastic getaways or solitude can be extremely healthy. They're extremely uncomfortable too. And that's part of what I think is healthy about them. But to go, I needed to go put myself in a place where I had no option or choice or convenience of any other stimulus, no phone, no internet, no television, no friends to call, no car nothing else to go because i knew i was going to get bored and anxious and my the reason i went to solitary is i said well when you get bored and anxious guess what you have one thing to go to to entertain yourself and that's yourself over the last 50 years in your writing so i wanted i didn't want the option yeah the distraction <laughs> To look now, else. you are such a captivating storyteller, which is why your book is such a hit. But you talk a lot about your parents and their green light, red light marriage. Because of your upbringing, were you able to avoid some red lights that made you the husband and father you are today? Oh, because of my upbringing. Was, I mean, look, I'll say this. Um, we were, uh, you know, as you uh, we were raised as a, hey, you're going to see the rose in the base of the dust on the table. 
that 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 was that was our perspective. Hey, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna cry about not having any sh- you not having any shoes. I'm gonna introduce you to the boy with no feet. So bam, we we were we were thrown into a very necessitous uh, baseline of relativity very early on in our age by our parents. We also, you know, have learned to when I talk about yellow lights, those things that slow us down that sometimes we need to slow down that turn into a red light, things we need to deal with. We also learned about art of pressing the pedal to the metal and blowing through some of those yellow lights in life. Right. <laughs> As just saying, I'm not going to give that crisis credit. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to slow down for this crisis in my life. I'm actually going to blow by it, deny its existence, or just not give it credit. You know, my parents were big disciplinarians. And as you read in the book, some of that was very uh, uh, corporal and, and disciplined and, and physical. That's not how my wife and I choose to do it. We've tried to evolve as parents. But as you know you know from reading the book, I'm not promoting nor am I judging the way my parents raised us. If anything, I, I applaud my parents for how they did it. And, uh, you know, the love was never in question in our household growing up. That's the one thing that was always consistent. Yeah, I love what you said about your father. He has the power to hit, but the same hands the power to hug even harder. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah, you know, and, and, and David, I didn't include a lot of those, as many of the hug stories that we had. Uh-huh. And my mom, who read the book, brought that up. She's like, well, you know, you, 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 you told the hurt stories. You didn't tell all the hug stories. I go, you're right. And I thought about it. I was like, why did I do that? Because I always tell the hurt stories as the real love stories in our family. Right. And I think, uh, David, the reason why is that the, the the hurt stories are the ones when you think the love's going to crumble. You think the family's going to break up. You think it's going to be the end of the story, the, 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 the unhappy ending, the place where I've got to, Matthew McConaughey's got to go get therapy or somebody gets really injured. But that was never the case. Love always ended up winning. I mean, get, you know, my mom and dad were divorced twice to, from each other, but they were married three times to each other. I mean, the love always kind of won three to two or, uh, or just edged out the, uh, uh, the, the hardship. Three, three times the charm though. That's, that's, they, 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 they're the poster child of that <laughs> saying. <laughs> yeah. That's great. You know what I, yeah. what I really love learning most about you and your book is your ability to step outside your comfort zone. And you know, so many people, we live our life on a hamster wheel, afraid to experience new things. What's your secret to removing fear of the unknown and just reaching a new level in life? Ooh, well, I, I think overall it's constructive and healthy for us to to lean into more blind spots in our life. But at the same time, there's you know it, it's choosing which risks we, we we need to take, and that that becomes one of the arts, the art of living. Because if you lean into every blind spot, we're going to be fools half the time. We don't want to we don't want to pick a fight with every boogie monster out, uh, boogeyman out there. You know what I mean? in our life, but I've, I've tried to measure good fear versus bad fear. You know, whether to, whether say it's a role, say it's a relationship, or let's, let me just go back to a, a movie role or something. I'll go, I'm really scared of doing this project. I'm really scared of this, taking this character on. And I'll try to live with, well, why are you scared? Are you scared because of the unknown, because of the excitement, because you don't know what's on the other side and you're not sure how the hell you're going to get there. That would, that would say would be a good fear. Now, if I, if I have another fear where I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of scared of it because I'm not sure of the pedigree around it. I don't think the script's in great shape. Uh, yeah. Well, that's 
the kind of fear you need to listen to that says don't do it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we got good fears and bad fears. I think the fear is good. And the taking the risk to lean into our fears, and that's what I mean by lean into our blind spots, I think is a healthy thing. I would also say this, David, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. A lot of times in life, it really isn't about which decision we make. It's really about just make a damn decision and commit to it and see where the water line comes out, and you're going to be fine. So true. Yeah. Just saying yes, because you say yes to opportunity, it just brings you to a new channel. And like I said, I think we live in this hamster wheel. I think people, the, we go to the same restaurants, we order the same thing. We have the same friends, same routine. I think routine is what ages us. I think that what you've done in your book has shown, hey, uh, hit different yeah. zones, hitting areas, because you know what? You live longer and you feel, you know, it's interesting. If you do a lot in a year, you go, wow, this was a long year. If you don't, it's like, what? It's, yeah. Christ it's Christmas again? It was just Christmas. The year flies yeah, by. <laughs> that's true. Well, it's true. If you're doing new things, you're. I, 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 I purchase what you're saying. It's a real key to youth because it's it's the beginner's mind, which is a child's mind. You're now doing things for the first time, which is the beauty of children. They're seeing and doing everything for the first time. Even though we as their parents or elders have gone, oh, I've done this a thousand times. It's their first time. And to change things up in our own adult lives is very healthy that way because that takes us back to a beginner's mind going, I don't know what this experience is going to be like. I'm taking a risk. I'm doing something different than I've ever done before because I'm going to find out. Yeah, that's a good point yeah. that that is uh, one of the keys to you. And you bring up a good point because, you know, remember when we were kids, the summer just lasted forever. And now as adults, it's like, where'd summer go? Because we did so many things. We opened our horizons and now we like, summer's over. It's the same summer. The days didn't yeah. get shorter or longer. One thing that you've accomplished that many actors don't is the ability to rebrand yourself. That had to take like facing fear in the face because you went from hit romantic comedies to a huge success in serious dramas and this required walking away from a sure thing I would I was I was reading that I'm curious how did your agent react to your decision <laughs> great question so listen I, this is a big compliment to my agent my agent at that time was Jim Taw I you know and now mind you he knew me well enough by this point to know that when I do commit to something and I've I'm calling and stating something I'm not really asking permission that I'm committed that I've given it a lot of thought well I'd given this a lot of thought to say hey the work I want to do, the dramas I want to do, they're not being offered to me. I cannot do those. So what's the next best thing? I'm just going to stop doing what I've been doing, which was the rom-coms, and see if eventually the work I want comes to me. Well, I call, um, after I call, after I talk to my wife, after I call my money manager to see how I've invested my money, because I'm not going to work for a while, and I call my agent, Jim, and I said, Jim, I'm not going to do romantic comedies anymore. I just want to let you know that. And he goes, okay, fine. And I went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You can't just say, okay, that's fine that quickly. And he says, why not? I said, <laughs> I said, well, wait a minute. What are your bosses going to say when you walk in the Monday morning agency meeting and say, uh, new memo, McConaughey's no longer doing romantic comedies, which have brought in a very healthy 10% commission over the years for us. <laughs> He's no longer doing it. I go, what do you mean? What are they going to say? He goes, I don't work for them. I work for you. Oh, I love that, that was it. And he was the gatekeeper and he was honest with me. Um, mind you, when that offer came in that went from five million to eight million to ten to twelve to fourteen point five million, we both did say, Well, let's read that one again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even though we said no to that romantic comedy and it was a romantic comedy, we did when the price went up that much, we did say, Well, let's read that one again and give that one more consideration. 
But I will say this. He was honest. Over that two years where I got no work, I would call him every week, and he would tell me the truth. He goes, McConaughey, I haven't heard your name. No one has even mentioned your name in Hollywood. So he was very honest, and he stuck with me with it, and it was a two-year drought. Until finally those uh, movies I want to do came my way. That's great. You know, one thing that ages people most in life is stress. It's a major ager. And in Greenlight, you share how your mother, who gets now is approaching 90, carries zero guilt, no stress. What is her secret to staying so even keel in life? We all want this. Well, okay. <laughs> my mother, Kay McConaughey, number one, her favorite word in life always has been, always will be, is the word yes. Number two, she is a great example of the value of denial if you really commit to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, full commitment, David. I mean, full commitment. I asked her, we see as, as, as our, our parents go through cycles as, when we're their children. We see, you know, we as their children, are, we're revolutionary 20s. I would say revolutionary even runs through the 30s. And around mid-30s, in the 40s, we start to realize that a lot of what our mom and dad's taught us about responsibility was like, ah, that's true. That matters. I'm going to become more like them and be more responsible. And then around the 60s, you start to see your parents become revolutionaries again. Think something about the fourth quarter of life or, hey, I don't need to be, I don't need to be so considerate in life anymore. They go back to being that beginner's mind, but like uh, of a child again. So as my mom was going through that and has been doing that for the past 30 years, I checked in with her because I all of a sudden became the conscientious one of the family. I became the one that would check in. I go, mom. And I asked her one night, I said, mom, is there anything? I said, do you have a list in your prayers or on paper regrets or things at the end of the day that you think you could have done better, that you wish you would have done different, that you want forgiveness for. Do you have that list in your head anymore? And she goes, Oh honey, every night I have a list and I make a mental list and it's about 25 items long of things. I want to change things. I want to regret things. I feel guilty for and things I want to do different and be forgiven for. And I was like, ah, okay. She goes, but you know what the thing is, Matthew? I said, what? She goes, I wake up in the morning and I forgot them all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's, that's the, new slate. I love that. Oh, it's so. a new slate every day. And I cannot, you know, I cannot argue with her. The way she's doing at 90, she's consistent with that behavior and who she is. And she has no stress um, at all. And um, she has her habits. They work for her. She has her rituals. She's still open to new things. But at 90 years young, as, she's, as well as she's doing, I'm sure as hell no place to tell her to change anything. Wow, fantastic. I was going to ask, you know, the stories in Greenlights, as I'm reading it, they're very specific to you and your life. But how does it feel when people come up to you and they share how they've endured similar challenges and your book inspired them to handle things differently? It feels, it, I mean, it truly feels awesome. And, and I'll tell you why. Look, my favorite thing about any piece of art, and I think all of our favorite things, whether we know it or not about any art we see, a movie, a painting, a book we read, is that we see ourselves in it. And there becomes an exchange, a reciprocity of our relationship with that art. And you become the art, the art becomes you, and it's a, it's a, it's a revolution between the viewer who's seeing or reading or feeling the art and the art. That means the art translated. 
when people come to me and share a story and say, I'm seeing myself in you, Matthew. I see my stories in your stories. That's tell that's confirming to me that the art that I put out is translating. I'm communicating. I I I I hit a common frequency that spoke to humanity and not just my own my not just solely my subjective story. But the irony is, which is also I think with any great art, David, is that the more personal I got, the more subjective I got in the writing of my biography in this book, the more applicable to humanity the it became. And in there is, I think, a real secret, I think, for all of us, not just as artists, but as, as, as in, in how we live. Um, I call it where the I meets the we. You know, the more subjective and almost selfish we can become sometimes, the actually more selfless and objective we will be. Um, and, and that was part of the translation of the book. When people come to me and share a story or tell me they that my my book and my story has put a mirror in front of their a true mirror in front of their own faces. That's the biggest compliment I can get. Yeah, and what's great is you know when you wrote Green Lights, it was from your journaling days, and this has now created a sparked interest in other people journaling. Talk to us about your upcoming Green Light Journal. How can people use it to learn more about themselves and improve their lives? Well, I write the book Green Lights. It's my story. Now I, I, I said, you know what, the art of journaling, the practice of journaling. It's the way we each, every one of you can write your own story. And it's, I, you know, I, I wanted to give much more than just a, uh, a journal of blank pages, but at the same time, I've learned that I don't want to, I don't like to be told what to do. I don't think anyone really likes to be told what to do. So in this journal, what I've done is I've just given some nudges here and there that will hopefully just frame the context for whoever you are, the writer that picks up the journal as, as the writer will frame a context of maybe how to think about something in your life, um, in the past, in the present, in the future. Um, and also make it, it makes it more interactive. And then hopefully you feel like I'm kind of riding shotgun with you and through this journal by what, by the prompts I have in it, that I'm sitting over there, shotgun, riding shotgun as a, as a buddy, you can say whatever to, and I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> All I'm going to do is go, be honest, have fun, doodle, turn it right backwards. I don't care what you do. Just spend time in it. And the more you're getting it, the more you're writing in it, the more you're getting to know yourself. And boy, David, we all know this. We like to deny it sometimes, but this is true. Getting to know ourselves is so important because we're the only person we can't get rid of. <laughs> we <want to> sometimes. <laughs> so writing in a journal is how I think, you know, we can become better buddies with ourselves, better friends with ourselves, call ourselves out more clearly, yeah. forgive ourselves more clearly, have more fun, understand where we're original, understand where we're common. Um, but it's our story and the journal that I put out is a place where you can write your own story. I love it. I'm a big fan of journaling. It really allows us to be the author of our own life and we can focus on our challenges and discover solutions and then hopefully wake up the next day. And it's like, like your mom, it's like, Hey, I'm stress-free. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she puts it in her head and we can put it in paper. You know, and it, it's, we all, we forget. And I think a lot of people forget sometimes that just the simple act of putting the pen to paper on a thought, something that you're frustrated with, confused maybe. Just the act of writing it down all of a sudden takes 50% of the weight off of you, even though you're writing to a paper and you're writing to yourself. 
it's it's all of a sudden you can become objective and aware of the situation and yourself in a way that you were unable to be before you wrote it down. We're all having a Socratic dialogue with ourselves, but then to put it on paper to actually visualize it outside of yourself, can a lot of times I'll find the answer to something that I've been thinking about for a month. I'll find the answer to it the minute I write it down because for the first time I'm looking at it on a page. It's, it, it's a really wonderful practice. So true. And you know what? You bring up a good point because we've always got that voice in our head that's constantly spinning and spinning. And sometimes we can't arise above that voice because it's in our head. It's controlling us. But when you write it, you're seeing it through the eyes. It's going into a different part of the brain. And you're right. You can actually break through some of these uh, issues and, and can create solutions. So that's such a, it's such a good point that you bring up. You, you have a fascinating, the first person I've seen that has fascination with bumper stickers. Share with the listeners why a sticker, <laughs> why a sticker on the back of someone's car sparks your interest because now i'm staring at bumper stickers oh, now. <laughs> i love bum i've always loved bumper stickers um again bumper sticker it's like one of the last bastions of free speech it's like you can say what you want about who you are or what you think but it's only in you know it's less than 40 characters it's usually like you know two to five one to five characters so you can't say enough to get in too much trouble and you can't say enough to define yourself too well right and Plus, it's kind of forgivable because, hey, it's a damn bumper sticker. <laughs> um, but I love how you can, you know, pull, uh, try this out there, everybody. You're in traffic. You're stopped at a red light. Look at look at people's bumpers. Read the bumper sticker and see what images. Enjoy this game of images going through your head about, well, what is that bumper sticker telling me about that person in that vehicle? And you'll start to get an idea of what their religion is, what their politics are. Do they have a family? Are they male? Are they female? What are their interests? Da, 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 their age. You'll start to formulate this picture. And then if you can, when that light turns green, see if you can pull up next to them and see how much they match the picture of what <laughs> you thought they were going to be to how much they don't. And it's awesome when they match it perfectly. And sometimes it's even more awesome when you're like, that person looks nothing, <laughs> nothing, completely the opposite of what I thought they were going to be. That's um, that's, I just love bumper stickers. It's like people get to advertise a little bit of the, it's a very innocent way to advertise and kind of wave your, uh, a certain banner you're about or a belief in a very innocent and fun way. So true. You know, I saw a bumper sticker yesterday that said, watch out for the idiot behind me. And needless to say, I moved to another lane. I, I guess if you want to avoid a rear end collision, that's what the bumper sticker you want. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be the idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or I don't want to be behind the guy that thinks I'm an idiot because he may try and break hard just to make me look like an idiot. So oh, there you go. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, and then he comes out, you yeah. idiot, you hit my boys. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, well, you wrote this. You predetermined this with your bumper sticker, so therefore you're at fault. Buddy. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. That'd be a good. That'd be a good case for the Lincoln lawyer. That'd be a nice little. Hey, you're not yeah, guilty. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, think we, I think we might be able to win this case. That's true. You came in looking for the fight. Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that this episode is being brought to you by Paleo Valley. For years, I've been looking for a whole food, super green product that tastes great and doesn't contain grains, artificial chemicals, or sweeteners. I'm thrilled to tell you my search ended when I discovered Paleo Valley. Their organic super greens is a delicious tasting, energizing blend of 23 select certified organic ingredients, antioxidants, digestive enzymes, and gut healthy pre 
prebiotic fiber. Just add a tablespoon to water, your favorite juice or smoothie. It's easy, convenient, and mess-free. And unlike so many other products on the market, this one actually tastes amazing. Even kids love it. In fact, they won't even realize it contains veggies they normally wouldn't eat. And the ingredients are non-GMO and free from pesticides and herbicides. Visit paleovalley.com and get your organic super greens today. Use promo code GOODHEALTH and receive 15% off your order. That's paleovalley.com, promo code GOODHEALTH. You know, there's a profound statement I want to share in your book that really resonated with me. You said, all destruction leads to construction and all pain eventually leads to pleasure. And I've endured several hurricanes and I realized every dark and destructive storm was followed by sunshine. We rebuilt, we moved forward. I'm curious, what's a painful situation you've endured that looking back now you realize led to something pleasurable? Well, yeah, I'd love to share a few. You know, we we kind of all take for granted that we live by this saying of, hey, what goes up has got to come down. Well, I say the truth is inverted. Invert that. What goes down has got to come up. And just see how your aperture of the lens of your mind's eye works if you think of, if you look at life like that. And you start looking at not like the downfalls and the hardships are like, oh, well, that's where it all ends up. Oh, that's how it's supposed to be. No. No, I don't believe that. And if we don't, a lot of times... We get past those by just not believing that and going, I'm not going to believe that. I, I, I'm gonna, I know that's going to rise. I know there's a green light out of this red light. I know there's light on the other side of this pain. I know there's pleasure on the other side of this pain. Sometimes that's the best antidote for getting through the pain and finding getting out the other side and then having patience with that. That does not mean we start to feel pleasure. We get out of it right now when we realize that. It may be tomorrow, next week, next month. It may be on our deathbed. It may be there. There are, I believe, things and truths that rise and levitate upon up to high in our lives from crisis that our great, great grandchildren will be the first to realize. So it's a longer view, I believe, of belief that what goes down is going to come up. What hurts is going to bring pleasure. I, my father dying, great pain, great pain. Red light. Never would have wished it. Knew it was going to happen one day, but never would have wished it. And sure as hell never even realized it could happen. In my in my young twenties, you know, when he died at, when I was twenty one. But I I realized in the writing of this my book about how much of a gift his moving on gave me. I saw scientifically things I wrote where I was challenging myself to become a man that I would not have been challenging myself to become if he had still been alive. When I knew he had my back, when he was a crutch for me, when I knew and believed he was bigger than the law and government and, 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 and was somebody who always was there for me if I really needed him. Well, boom, he was gone. All of a sudden, I sobered up and started to not let myself and said, you better start quit acting like one and start being one, Matthew because you don't have your dad as a safety net. Now, that's more than just turning, you know, lemons into lemonade. The pain of my father dying still hurt and still hurts. But he gave me some lessons in there. And I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you right now with the life I've, I've got right now if my father wouldn't have passed away on August 17th, 1992. I might have still kind of wandered and 
said, I'm going to half-ass this and that because, hey, my dad's got my back if it really, if it really, if it really gets tough. I might have let myself off the hook longer on certain things and not lived up and not knew what I was for or what I was against and not called myself out for things because I knew I would have known he's got my back. So he was my safety net. And so I don't go, you know, I don't go, thanks for dying, dad. But I see the things to be thankful for in that crisis, the lessons that he left for me to learn in his passing. Yeah, that's so true. You know, and it's like a, a broken bone. When broken bones heal, they heal stronger than uninjured bones. So you're more likely to injure a bone that's never been through a trauma than to re-injure a bone that's been broken and made a comeback. And I think that's, ex mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's exactly what you said. You know, we make our comeback and all that. One thing that I admire about you, you, you've, you, you handle fame so well. You know, so many celebs put up a wall after the director yells cut, but you've remained down to earth and touchable. Did that come naturally for you or was it something you had to work on? Oh, I had to work on it. I mean, it was all, it, look, it was always natural. Then what, what you have to do with fame, if you choose to, is work on how to preserve what came natural. And that's the, that's the hard part because the world says when you become famous, when I became famous, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to be that anymore. You don't have to be, look, you can become famous. You can, you're allowed, you get license that you never had before. You get affluence and options that you never had before, places to go, people to hang out with, things you can order on the menu that you never could before. Put super on leather in your car for the first time. Buy, you know, go, you, you, you get invitations to things in life that you never had before well those are worth checking out and partaking but they're not worth partaking in blindly at the exclusion of what you gave a damn about in life before you got famous <laughs> and that becomes that's the hard part about fame is going well what do i want to am i going to change with fame you damn right change did i change with fame yes i changed we all do we change as we get older. We look in our past every day and go, what am I keeping? What am I nurturing? What am I letting go? That relationship, that job, that habit. Well, fame is just a, like that on steroids. It's like it, it all happens quickly and ab abundantly. The world opens up and you can do a lot of things that were not even possible for you to even sniff at before you got famous. And you can do them immediately. My work that I try to do is just preserve what are the non-negotiables in my life? My family, certain friends, the, child, the kind of man I, I was working to, to remain and become. And I, you know, and I didn't make straight A's through the whole practice of being famous, Dr. David. I, I, I failed some classes on the way. I look back and I have some regrets. Going, oh, I could have done that better. Oh, you were awkward there. Oh, you burned a bridge there. Oh, you could have handled that situation better. Oh, you sold yourself out there, McConaughey. You know, I didn't, I didn't make straight A's in it. But I did do a pretty good job, I think, of saying after I screwed up, going, ah, that, that really goes against your grain, ultimately, Matthew. That, 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 let's make sure that's a fad. That's a stop, not a stay. <laughs> that's, that's not something that you're going to incorporate into your life. Hey, you're what? Congratulations. You tried it. But let's remember that that's just a one-off. That's not who we're going to become. So I think that was the fame is about for me was about preserving. And I think anyone who gets famous goes through that. Well, how much do you preserve? Because you're going to change. You're going to evolve. You should take advantage of the assets that come with fame and the affluence 
but don't dive all the way in and turn the blind eye about who you were and what you believed in before you were famous. That's so true. Yeah, I know in your book you shared during your infancy of your fame, your mom became more of a fan of yours than a mother. Last, last question <laughs> yeah. to tell us. I know you're pressed for time. Tell us about that. It was such an interesting story. Yeah, well, my mom always wanted to be one of the golden girls, kicking a high leg on TV. And her son, Matthew, gets famous. And, um, you know, she comes and sees my my performances. And then she would <laughs> She would tell me after a performance, she was like, that was so good, Matthew. And I'd be like, thanks, Mom. She goes, I mean, it's just so clear where you get it from. <laughs> <laughs> now, mind you, I can laugh about this now. At the time, I'm like, Mom, can you just let me have this for myself? I'm trying to navigate and see my own worth of my at the craft on my own can you let me enjoy and go? I mean, and, and I remember it was after one film I did about the fifth film I did. She goes, Oh my gosh, that was really good. That I could not do. And I remember having a joy at my mom actually giving me something that I performed as an actor that she goes that, I don't know where you got that from. That's you. And I remember having a, a joy and sharing that with her tears with her going, thank you mom for not running that through your own self and saying, now it's worthy because I see where you got it. Anyway, I get famous. I'm on TV. People want to see my life. Uh, they want to know my love relationship, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, my mom very innocently, if I, she met somebody with a famous friend or if I talked with her on the phone over a weekend and shared with her secrets, all of a sudden, I'd hear about it the next day. It showed up in some local newspaper or I was like, I'd call her up and she'd be like, what? And I go, mom, no, that's between us. People want to know my business. Please don't share it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So we had this big knockdown, drag out crying night where I'm telling her, mom, please, loose lips are going to sink my ship. Let me find my balance on my own before you're running out there sharing things. Let me share things about me if I want to. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm sorry, I love you. Well, two weeks later, I'm at home and I get a call from Finn. My buddy goes, buddy, are you watching this? I said, watch what? He goes, turn on hard copy. I turn on hard copy. And there's a camera following a POV through my childhood bedroom with my mom leading the camera going, and this is the bed where he lost his virginity. I oh. think her name was Susan <laughs> Shannon. Heck, I'm not sure her name was. Anyway, didn't last that long. No big deal. And back here's his bathroom. And I, well, there's his shower. You know what I caught him doing in there? <laughs> anyway, oh, and I just, my mouth hangs open. I'm like going, Oh my gosh. Well, I called my mom immediately and I'm like, she picks up the phone. I said, mom, what'd you do? She goes, what? Now, mind you, I can hear she's watching the same hard copy show in her house. I can hear it in the background. I know she did. And I go, hard copy, what are you doing? She goes, that, I think you'd find out. <laughs> 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 yeah, my oh, son doesn't my watch God. hard copy. <laughs> oh, I didn't think you'd find out. So I went through about eight years where I had very sort of boring, pragmatic, terse conversations with her on the Sundays when I would call her because I feared sharing any intimate things with her as I wanted to as her as my mother. But I feared doing it because I didn't know if I'd read about it the next day. And we, uh, our relationship was strained for about eight years. And then 
after eight years, I, look, I got stable enough in my own career where I was like, look, my mom could say it, do what the hell she wants. You know, she you put her on the red carpet, let her wear her short leather dress and put her in front of a mic and tell her she's got free range to tell <laughs> any damn story she wants. Go for it, mom. And it's been great because she tells great stories and they're funny. And my career is that established enough where her a Randy story from her is not going to sink my ship. But at right. that time, I needed to find my own stability without my mom trying to maroon my <laughs> my stability from from afar you know that's so true yeah she, she's a great storyteller but i i don't think that uh you can give her credit i think you might one up her there after reading your book <laughs> don't tell her we well, said that <laughs> but i will no i will but let me tell everyone whatever she she wrote a book too and she reminds me all the time and guess what the title of her book is i i amaze myself <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, written by my three favorite people, me, myself, and I. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Oh, I love it. Fantastic. Well, time just flew by. I could just sit here and chat with you for a whole lot longer, but now we got to cut you off. You got things to do, and I want to thank you for being with us today. And one final thought I'll share some of the stories in Green Lights reminded me really of one of my favorite quotes. The best view comes from the hardest climb. And you are helping people use their red lights as stepping stones to climb to higher places in life. So kudos to you. Appreciate it. Love your book. Hope everybody gets a copy and the new Greenlight Journal Companion. David, I enjoyed talking to you. I hope, hope everyone out there enjoyed it too. Great. Fantastic. To get your copy of Greenlights or to pre-order the upcoming Greenlights Journal, go to greenlights.com. Together we can all right, all right, all right. And I'm spelling that W-R-I-T-E, right. I'm a big Ooh. fan of journaling. Yes, it's the best way to become the author of your life. Hash through all those challenges and discover solutions. In this companion journal, Matthew rides shotgun, as he mentioned. He's going to help guide you and get you to really get you to know yourself better. Explore your red lights and catch more green lights. Go to greenlights.com and you can follow Matthew on social media at Officially McConaughey. For my daily social media posts, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman, except on Instagram, where you can find me at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Matthew share something today that would benefit someone you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to yourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, co-workers, and on social media. As I always say, sharing is caring. Don't keep this information to yourself. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned, stay well, and catch those green lights. Be sure and go to paleovalley.com and get your organic super greens. Just one tablespoon gives you 23 superfoods. Paleovalley.com, save 15% by using promo code GOODHEALTH.